This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I am really excited to share a conversation with you that I got to have with the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal. And Phil is quickly becoming one of my favorite people. If he wasn't already, he's so much more than that now. My wife and I have loved Everybody Loves Raymond, even now when we occasionally catch an episode in syndication. But on top of that, Phil loves food, and Phil loves to travel. Phil is now asking people to feed or fill his belly as he travels on his new Netflix show, Somebody Feed Phil, which which honestly is one of my new favorite Netflix shows. In it, he goes traveling and eats crazy things, meets awesome people, and gets out of his comfort zone and honestly encourages us to do the same. Coming at it from a productivity perspective, I watch his new show, and it gets me out of my comfort zone. It spurs me on in creative and adventurous thinking, makes me want to get out and do more and live more and be more, which is not only inspiring, but also just fun and cool and great to get out and be creative in a non-producing material type way, but in an interactional and relational, even consumptual way when it comes to the food. So I know you're going to love this conversation if you want some backstory on the creative process on Everybody Loves Raymond, as well as through to creating this new show and just the experience of living life and having more from it and getting more creative by getting out of your comfort zone. So with that, I just want to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Phil Rosenthal. This week, it is my privilege to welcome Phil Rosenthal. Phil, welcome to the show. Hello, Eric. I am just ecstatic to have you. A friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Mark Malkoff, reached out to me and he said, Hey, my Phil, my, my Phil, my friend Phil Rosenthal. I'm his Phil. (laughs) He said, My friend Phil Rosenthal has this new show on Netflix. Now, I didn't know your name, but I knew your face and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized I'd seen the show pop up on Netflix. And then I'd also thought, why do I know that face? And then I realized who you were and what you'd done. And I'd seen you in a couple of like television documentaries, giving commentary on this or that. And I thought, oh, yeah. this is very cool. So, yeah. but then I realized, oh, you've made one of my wife's favorite television shows ever. Everybody loves Raymond, which is probably Aww. the thing you're most known for, right? I would guess that would be it on the tombstone. Yes. <laughs> Here lies Ray's creator. Well, yeah. not not the Ray, not Ray Romano, but the show, Ray. Anyways, didn't create him. 
No, <laughs> that would be awkward. But yeah, you could. So you could, so you've been into comedy and writing and all that, and and you'd done other writing on other shows. But then you moved into Raymond, and basically you were the. What was your official title on that show? You weren't just creator, but you ran the whole thing for all nine years. I guess there's a there's a a term that that's known in Hollywood. It's called showrunner, mm. but that's not an official title. In other words, it's not it, you don't see that on the credits. But showrunner means the kind of auteur of the show, the person who runs the entire show. Every decision passes through my head if I'm the showrunner, right? So that's everything from is this shirt okay for this scene to the dialogue in the scene to the staging of the scene to the way it's shot to the way it's edited to the way the guest cast is picked to to every single element that you can think of in making a show and you know for me the most important element what was the food going to be like backstage that was (laughs) the most important yes so that's a showrunner but i guess the official title for me was executive producer creator and again, showrunner is probably this title that is this all-encompassing title. It's a title of titles because you were involved heavily in the writing process. I mean, you're in the writing room with the writers drawing from I would say your family experiences. One, that, that, I would say that's the number one job of, of a showrunner is, is to make sure the writing is, uh, is what it should be. And, now, and yes, I'm involved in the writing of every single script, if not alone, then with uh, the other people and supervising the writing of the show. Well, and if you do it right and your end goal is to do what you guys did, you end up on screen with something that's very similar to the life experiences cumulatively of the writer's room. Because I know, for example, the parents in the show are basically your parents. Well, I didn't know Ray's parents. The The show is loosely based on his not, it says at the end of the show, the actual credit that Ray gets is based on the stand-up comedy of Ray Romano. But that's not really true. It's really based on his actual life. In other words, he really had twin boys and an old daughter and parents who lived close by and a brother who lived with them who was a police sergeant, right? And was jealous of him. All that is true. What I did was imagine it as a sitcom. And then what I didn't know about his family I filled in with the personalities of my family. And sometimes these things work. Not all the time, but sometimes (laughs) if you get very lucky, things gel and seem to go together. So there's so many things that you have to get lucky on, right? You have to get lucky that someone at CBS will like this pilot script enough to let you go forward with a filming of a pilot. And then you have to cast the pilot. And that you have to get very lucky in every part. Because imagine the show, if you know it, with anyone different in any of the parts. Maybe the show doesn't work anymore. Right? Yeah. So that has to be lucky. You have to, you know, it has to be well directed. It has to be well shot. It has to be well edited. The audience that comes to the taping has to like it. The people who see the tape when they test it have to like it. And then CBS has to have room on the schedule and think that it goes with something else that they have. So this is uh, when people ask me, they say, it's like winning the lottery, isn't it? I say, no, it's like winning the lottery over and over and over again. 
literally all the planets have to line up <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for one of these things to even get on the air. And then any success beyond that is just like crazy gravy. Yeah, man. And not only that, but then you get to, after having won the lottery so many times in a row, you get this kind of almost envious position of being able to just draw from your own life experiences and share that in a creative way. This was the best part. Uh, this is, this is what, you know, we stumbled on. I stumbled on in writing the pilot. Even I thought that I would write a scene in which I could illustrate how crazy Ray's parents were. And so in the pilot episode, I wrote a scene that was taken from my actual life where I got my parents a gift of the fruit of the month club. Do you know the fruit of the month club? Yes. So my parents reacted as if I had sent them a box of heads from a murderer. <laughs> they couldn't believe that fruit was going to come every month. They didn't know what to do with all of it. And it was actually uh, an absolute imposition and a terrible thing that I did. Right. And, and at one point, my mother said, I can't talk anymore. There's too much fruit in the house. <laughs> so I put that in the show thinking that maybe the audience would think, oh, Ray's parents are crazy. What I didn't realize was that in being specific with such a specific thing like Fruit of the Month and that very specific reaction, that turned out to be an almost universal thing because we relate to other people in terms of specifics. This is something I stumbled on. This is not something I knew inherently. I, I, I knew maybe in the back in the back of my mind, maybe that's why I was attracted to shows that I liked. But it turns out that the more specific you get, the more universal something becomes. Does that make sense? Totally, yes. Yeah, I mean, and I can relate to that because, for example, another example um, that's in the show at later points is the suitcase argument where the yes. suitcase, they come, you know, when Ray and Deborah come home and the suitcase is sitting <laughs> at the front of the door or up the stairs and no right. one's going to move it. And I've had right. that or, and or versions of that, uh, argument or stalemate <laughs> even with my own wife. And I know others who, uh, who have as well. Right. So if we're looking at that one, for instance, that Tucker Cawley wrote and he wrote it because that's how it worked at the show. If you had the thing happen to you at home, you know, your job, if you worked for me, was to go home, get in a fight with your wife and come back in and tell me about it. <laughs> so this happened to Tucker and he came in and talked about this and we all related to it. All the married guys. And, uh, and, and there was one single guy at the table and he said, are you crazy? Just move the suitcase. Who cares? Who and we all the married guys all at once said to Tucker, you do not move that suitcase. This is a war. It's war. And and. We hit on this universal thing of sometimes marriage is a little bit like war. You want to be right. You want to win. Now, the generic version of that argument would be, I do everything and you do nothing, right, around the house. Yes. They could sit on the couch and have an argument like that. That's fine. And I think people would go, yeah, that's kind of like us. But when you pin it all on a very specific thing of a couple that comes back from a little weekend vacation – and the husband brings in the suitcase and he sets it down on the landing of the steps and he goes to work the next day and he comes home and the suitcase is still there. And he, he looks at it, huh, he says, and he goes back to work the next day and he comes back from work and it's still there, right? Now, there's a 
silent kind of Mexican standoff going on, <laughs> a kind of war in the house between a husband and a wife. The wife is saying, why should I move the suitcase, right? And the husband is saying, why should I move the suitcase? I'm the one who carried it in. I'm going to work. Isn't it the woman's job to take the suitcase upstairs and do the laundry if I'm at work, right? You can't say that today. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't say that today. Yeah. We, everyone should be equal is what, is what I really think. Monica, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so this was a very, very relatable thing and kind of a, a classic struggle, I think. You could have done that show in 1952, maybe. Maybe you would have had more people on the side of the man at that time. Mm. But I think it would have been, I think every woman watching at that time would have said, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's I, right. Why should I be the one who always has to move it? It's just that in 1952, women weren't as vocal about saying it as they are today. I, I think I could see, you know, this same thing playing out similarly, but with different kind of subtext to it. If it was on, say, the Dick Van Dyke show and Ma Mary Tyler Moore speaking up about it, you know, but you would be on their side. Yeah, you would. You would absolutely see their side. They would always, you know, on television, they would say the right thing, but it just took a long time for society to catch up. So this whole idea of <laughs> sending your writers home to get in fights with their yeah. wives to bring stories yeah. back. So what's that look like in the room? Like, oh, my gosh, guys, I've got a whopper of a like this is what happened to me. Listen to me like. Yeah, I wish we were that uh, cogent and smart. Here's what <laughs> usually happened. Now, this is true that, that you know, you, you, I wasn't literally sending you home to fight, but I was sending you home in time for dinner because that's where life happens. Mm. So we never worked late because part of homework, which was, it was never said out loud, part of homework was to live your life. I learned this from the Dick Van Dyke Show, from Carl Reiner, who said to his writers, what happened at your house this week? And I thought, listen, we're doing a, a show about a family. Shouldn't this be the same modus operandi of, of this show? We should be drawing from our real lives. And so we did. But we weren't as astute always. <laughs> we would come in in the morning and we would do what every office does. Procrastinate. <laughs> we would sit with our bagel or our cereal and gather around and just talk in an effort to actually avoid working, right? But usually around the time we were going to order lunch, someone would have a funny story just in conversation, and we'd say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe we could use that in our <laughs> stupid show. Yes, put it on the blackboard. Yes, let's, let's try it. And in that sense, you're having that relationship with each other in the writer's room makes it to the point where you're not, you know, coming in and trying to pitch your story. Instead, you're all living life together that way as well. And then the stuff comes up naturally. And then it feels more like a story being told versus something being pitched, right? You got it. And, and we just felt like our best stories like that baggage one. Isn't it great that it's actually called baggage? <laughs> yes. All the best stuff comes from that comes from when it feels real. And this is kind of, the the kind of my values it's what i like in a show the shows that i grew up on the honeymooners all in the family the odd couple uh roseanne taxi mary tyler moore especially these were shows that were believable 
and relatable. They weren't so crazy that the the plots and the dialogue took you out of the story. You believed that these were that they could be real people, that they could be living on the planet Earth, and that they were uh, people, three dimensional people with with uh, bad things that happened to them, as well as just comedy. Mm-hmm. Right? There were moments of drama, which I always think add so much to the show because nobody's just laughing all the time and it's silly if they are it makes it more endearing because it's got that relatability to it again and that factor again coming from the fact that it's coming from real the real lives of you and ray and the other writers and you're drawing on you being home by you know being home for dinner and dinner being where life happens which again is really cool that that ties into food as we'll talk about later yeah um then again, so so, <laughs> are you? Well, are, here's the thing. Yeah, you can't write about you can't write about real life unless you have one. Yeah, yes, yes. Of course, sometimes though the writing maybe feels like it's homework. Again, why, that's why you guys goofed off in the writers' room so much and got to yes. the point where you. I, I know you call it kind of uh, you know warming up the car. Yes, that's right. It is, and and all the jokes and terrible things that we say that that are very politically incorrect. It's all just for us all knowing that these are shocking things that no one should ever say out loud. It's all to get you in the proper mindset of writing something funny that can be said out loud, that can be on television. And by the way, I wish that I, and this is the old man in me coming out. I wish that more shows that the writing was a little more than just sex and shock jokes that, that, that we kept it in the room a little more. And put out stuff that was uh, a little deeper. I'm not saying that I don't like a good, shocking joke or or a sex joke now and then, but there should be more to life than just that. Yeah, well, and he, and I think even CBS wanted you guys to go further in that direction, but you kind of reined it in, right? Well, that that unfortunately that's what sells tickets, right? Right. But when they said we we wish you were a little hipper and edgier, a little hotter and sexier. And I'm like, well, well, you got the right guy. I'm Mr. Hip and Edgy. <laughs> it's a better show not to be so uh, on the nose with everything. Right. Yeah. A- again, a lot of, you know, going back to the suitcase, th- to the yeah. actual baggage, uh, yeah. that, that metaphorical baggage of there's yeah. an argument happening here without words. Exactly right. That's kind of where it comes down to, right? It's like you, you, you come to this point where, you know, you've brought in all these different ideas. You, you've captured lots of ideas. And by the way, like you're, you're not saying go home and have dinner with your family. And then if something happens while you're sitting there, pull out a notebook and write it down. And no, write live it. it. Live it. Live it. My, my friend Steve Scrovan, who worked on the show, he said that sometimes his wife would see when they were in a big argument. She would notice a look in his eye and she would say, this is not for the show <laughs> because he would start going, hey, I could use this. Right. And she was and, and the joke was then she would see how much Steve was going to get for the script. And she would say, OK, this you could use for the show. <laughs> uh, wives of creatives across the land know that look. By the way, they were they were the co-writers of the show, our wives. Yes, completely. We owe them. We owe them everything. We wouldn't. The show wasn't just from a man's point of view. We had women in the writers' room too. We had women writers. Those of us lucky enough to have wives. We had wives who 
we're really we're not only are we running everything by them to see if they last, but stories were coming directly from them. How did that dynamic change for you? Because you had a unique position where your wife eventually was literally on the show acting. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she. I have to say that a lot of the the stories uh, and a lot of Deborah's personality. I I kind of used Monica's personality, but the the sweetest part of Monica, the 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 part you know that people fall in love with whenever they meet her me included, was Amy. And we knew that that if we had a date for Robert early in season one, it wasn't even my idea, by the way. I wasn't going to push my wife onto my television show. I know what people would say. I know what it looks like. So I was never going to bring it up that she was an actress. But one of the other writers said, hey, what about Monica for this part? And they had to really convince me that it would be okay, that uh, she was so good that people wouldn't say, oh, look, he put his wife in the show, mm, yeah. right? I didn't want to do that to her either, because that's not nice to, to be that actor who, who, you know, people are saying you only got the part because, you know, you slept with the producer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we tried it once. Well, that episode, people loved her right away. And I was so thrilled. And then we tried her one more time. They loved her again. And then off and on, we had her dating Robert until season seven when we ran out of ideas for the show. Like, what do we, <laughs> we feel like we're, we're finished with stories? What else can we say? And we had the idea that Robert should get married and that could change things up a bit. Whoever he married, we could bring in that girl's family and add some new blood to the show. And, and, Sure enough, when we, we all decided it had to be Monica, and then we cast uh, her family, we had Georgia Engel as her mother, and Fred Willard as her father, and Chris Elliott as her brother. What a cast. Yeah. It was so great. And so we got another season and a half out of that, just well, from having stories to do with that other family. Yeah. How do you know then? I mean, I guess you, you kind of do, you hinted at, you know, you're, you're around season seven out of nine and yeah. you're realizing, okay, we're, we are kind of winding down. How do you yes. know when something creative that you're working on is kind of coming to a close and you want to end it well? Very easy. You start running out of ideas. <laughs> By the time we were done, we had done 210 wow. episodes. Go right. Go write 210 stories about one family right now. Go ahead. <laughs> it's not so easy. It's, it's very hard. And, and uh, we didn't want to repeat ourselves. And frankly, I'd seen a lot of shows where they stay too long. And they generally stay for two reasons. One is they're having a very good time and they're very popular and people like it. And it's fun. And the number one reason, we know what that is the money. These are not good creative reasons to stay. Having fun and getting money is not what makes a good show. What makes a good show is you have enough gas in the car to keep going. And the gas, in our case, were the stories and the, and the scripts. That's the gas of any show. And once that goes, you're running on fumes. And we all know the shows that stayed at the party too long. We thought, and this is an old showbiz axiom, we should get off the stage before somebody says, hey, you should get off the stage. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. The show ended when? I forget how long. I mean, it ran nine years. Right. 2005. 2005. We, we ended, okay. Yeah. So then you've got almost 10 years later, you yeah. get in front of the camera with yeah. a passion that you've had. To, well, multiple passions, really. Traveling and food. And you produce and star in uh, I'll Have What Phil's Having on PBS, which yeah. is great. Thank you. It all stemmed from an episode of Raymond. We did an Italy show. And Ray had never traveled before, was it? I said, why not? He said, I'm not really into other cultures. And I thought, oh, we got to do that episode. We got to send him over to Italy as Ray himself. And we got to send him back as me, someone excited about traveling and Italy and the food in Italy. And so I wrote that script. Uh, it took three years to convince CBS and Ray to travel overseas to film an episode in Italy. And the best thing about that episode, as good as it is, we think, is I saw what happened to Ray the character happen to Ray the person. He really transformed. He got it. He got woke. <laughs> and right then and there, I said, what a joy this is to turn people on to something you love. There's no better high in life, I think. And so I thought, I want to do a show where we can do this for other people. And for those, those, that was the year 2000. So actually, since then, I wanted to do this show. I did other things. In the meantime, I wrote a book. It's about a lot of the things we, we've been talking about today. It's called You're Lucky, You're Funny, How Life Becomes a Sitcom. 
and it's about the making of Raymond as a specific example of how to turn your actual life into something useful, like a sitcom. <laughs> Uh, and also art from, from, from the beginning to the end. So I wrote that book and then I, I, I tried other pilots and things that nobody wanted for whatever reason, either I didn't want to capitulate to what they wanted or they didn't want what I did, which was kind of in the Raymond style kind of fell out of favor. I felt once we, uh, graduated from everybody loves Raymond, we felt that the business had changed somewhat. It was very hard to get Raymond on a show like Raymond that was I guess, tame by comparison to other shows. It was hard to get it on in 1996, let alone 2006. Uh, I made a movie, a documentary about going to Russia to try to help the Russians do their version of Raymond called, uh, called Exporting Raymond. They wanted to turn it into Everybody Loves Kostya. <laughs> and we filmed that's on netflix now too exporting raymond yes i watched and that people, oh thanks yeah that, it, i i really enjoyed that I, I mean just again going back to the relatability like you go in thinking oh yeah you know we'll just what are the cultural touchstone like there's universal yeah. the family's universal and and to watch it kind of you know no spoiler alert in a sense it wouldn't be a great movie if it, there wasn't struggle but like th- it doesn't go well <laughs> that's uh that's putting it mildly it's it really plays like a comedy yes because it's about a schnook like me who thinks he's an expert in something my tv show who goes to a land where nobody cares nobody cares they're going to do it their way and here's what's wrong with your tv show and here's why it's never going to work here uh you know they thought that the russian male was completely different than the american male the russian male is strong and does not listen to the wife at all. I think that even Putin, when he comes home, his wife tells him to take those boots off. You get mud in the house. And so uh, this was the struggle for me because uh, it was all about relatability again, and and the the kind of uh, the kind of uh, armor we put up, you know, and and just communication. That's really what it's about. How you can't even communicate. Listen, I have trouble communicating in my own house ideas, <laughs> right? So imagine another country where they, they, they really want to put on a, a cover. Anyway, I did that. People saw that show, that movie, and uh, had a meeting. I think it was at PBS. And they said, we like the idea of you going places. <laughs> we can see and, you going places. <laughs> yes. And I, I said, so does my wife. <laughs> And they said, do you have any ideas? And I said, yes, here was the idea. I'd like to go around the world and try to get you to travel by showing you the best places to eat. And they said, okay, here's six episodes. I'll have what Phil's having. Which that is also, it's, it, that is not the new show, but that nope. is the, the old version of essentially the same show. It's um, the same show. Yeah. It's, uh, and those, those first six episodes of I'll have what Phil's having, those are on Netflix now. And now Netflix has picked up the show and retitled it. It's now called Somebody Feed Phil. But it's pretty much the same show. It's just shot in 4K now. Everything looks beautiful except for your host. And then uh, we have a theme song. So people who either liked the old show should be happy. Hey, there's a new season. Or people who try out the new show and love it, like I do, are able to be, you know, happy as well because, oh, there's another whole season you didn't know about. That's right. 
Of course, That's the new right. one, the new one shot in 4K, which which for some of these locations, man, I got to tell you, like to see it in 4K on a big screen, like this is this that what is, you have? Yes, th- this is Great. one of those shows where you you know how you probably heard the the term uh, second screening, where people are watching TV and they have their phone out at the same of time, and they're playing on it. This is not one of those shows to do that with. You sit there, it demands your attention. Yes. It's yes, because the it's, photography is beautiful. Yes, I owe it. I owe it all to the geniuses that 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 we have as uh, directors of photography. Wonderful guys, amazing. And uh, I mean, you're going around and you're almost doing that living life in. But this time, instead of taking it to the writers' room, you're taking it right there to. The, it's almost the reality TV version of you living out your life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's. Uh, it's not, I mean, it's funny that it is a reality show, but it doesn't feel like a reality show. Well, it, but in the same way, like it's relatable because we're watching you. Uh, the, in other words, the relatability this time comes from not just you bringing your stories that happen to you or other people, but us seeing you be the everyman traveling and you're eating these things that most of us have never had or being in places most of us have never been. And we're relating to your reactions either in the awe and wonder and the discovery of the things or in the, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's going to eat that. Well, I'll tell you how I sold the show. I said, I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. <laughs> and I, I believe that there are lots of people like me out there, people who watch Anthony Bourdain as a superhero, who say, he's amazing, I'm never doing that. And I think if they see a putz like me out there, they say, if he can go outside, maybe I can too. And so I'm trying to relate to my fellow couchmates who sit and watch and don't travel. You know, two-thirds of Americans don't have a passport. And I think the world would actually be a little better if we all could experience a bit of someone else's experience. So that's the point of the show is to get you to travel. It couldn't just be me going around. There's some of that in there, but all of that is just to entice you because I know how food crazy we all are. I'm mm. one of them, but I'm just using the food and hopefully humor to get you to connect to the people and to see that the value in traveling and you can have these experiences. You can have them in your own town if you can't afford to go overseas yet. You can, you can go to a, a strange uh, ethnic restaurant that's strange to you, right? And try a dish. Oh, but what if I don't like it? So, so what? Take a bite. You don't like it? Move on. We're adults. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can not like things. The tasting is its own reward. And by the way, you can check on your phone the menu of the place, of the Peruvian restaurant down the, down the street that you always go by and you never go into. I don't know what that is. I don't know what. Well, why don't you look at the menu? Oh, they have chicken and rice. I like that. Yes, you like that. Why don't you try it? Is it clean? Do I know if it's clean? Look at the rating. What's it say? Oh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) That's me, too. That's me, too. I go past things a hundred times. Never think to go in there. Right? Either either it's dumpy or it's, it's in a strip mall or why would I go in there? You know, I've had some of the best sushi in my life going into strip malls in Los Angeles. Uh, speaking speaking of sushi, I like I honestly never thought that I was going to be so into it, but now that's passing on to my just turned into a teenage daughter 
And yeah. that sense of adventure, that sense of excitement or discovery and, and getting out of your comfort zone and trying things like she'll go with me to the place I get the sushi from. And she typically was getting, you know, rice and chicken and sweet and sour sauce and all that. But she'd see me. She'd, she now says, can I pick out your sushi? And then now we're at the point where she says, can I try some of your sushi? That's it. Yeah. That's it. And guess what? That's the culture. She's getting a little Japanese culture in her, right? Yes. So she likes that. Maybe she's interested then in the next step, which is, oh, let's watch this thing about Japan. Oh, yeah. That's the, the, the food is kind of the gateway drug to the culture. It is. Yeah. It, it, they say, you know, food is the gateway to the, the man's heart or whatever you want to call it. I, I'm, yes. I'm butchering the phrase, but like, no, it really, you're right. I mean, you're, you're dealing in these universals when it comes to what you're, you know, creatively doing is you're working with food and you're working with laughs, laughs and, and the bonding between those. Food is the great connector and laughs are the cement. Hmm. When we sit together and have a meal, if it's any good at all, you know, we're a little happy. Let's say we just met and we're going to have lunch. If the, if the food is good. We're already a little bit happy. Even if it's bad, at least we're sitting and eating together and not killing each other, right? And then if we share a laugh, if if I think you have a good sense of humor or you like my sense of humor, well, now we're friends. Now we might eat again. <laughs> I'm sure we would. If, if if we ever meet in person, I will I will feed Phil. Oh, that's, for sure. that's, that's why I called the show that, because I'm looking for free food wherever I go. <laughs> that's what, somebody feed Phil. I feel like I feel like I'm a dog and people forgot about me. And you came home and <laughs> say, hey, did somebody feed Phil? So I forgot to feed the Phil. Well, right. the, the the new show, like, I, I mean, I got to say, like, it is just it, it's a delight to watch. It does what you for me, I can say that it did what your intended goal was, which was it got me it, interested in getting more out of my I mean, I was already obviously in, interest, interested in sushi. Um, I loved walking through Thailand and seeing all the uh, it's just so beautiful and so delicious looking. And oh, it's great. It makes me want to go there, not just for the great. food, but to go there at yes. all and all these places that you're going to. And, and I'm. Yes. And, and Hang other, out with the elephants. Yes. Yes. That was, oh gosh, t- the, the time with the elephants and then. <laughs> Where the one hits you in the head with the uh, the tail at the end. It's just oh, it's a good little just button moment on the whole episode. Well, uh, the move the, the show is kind of you know it's it's a food and travel show, but it's also kind of part sitcom. I realize yes because I I understand that I'm a certain character, and this character is going into different situations. And if you know the character, then you're laughing already just at what you can tell I'm thinking. That's what a sitcom does. So it's a kind of hybrid, I realize, of forms. Yes, it definitely is. And that's why and and again, it's 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 that you could have a family sit down and watch one of these together. And yes. And, and that's what I was trying to do with with my kids and my wife and and you know, they were actually starting to get into it and I thought this is this is very cool. And and by the way, it the it being on Netflix both the seasons of the show to an extent being on Netflix isn't a reason to go sit down and watch all of them at once. I think you kind of want to treat them like uh, bottles of wine where you open one and fully enjoy it. And then you don't crack the next one open right after the other and binge watch them all. 
Eric, thank you for saying that because that's exactly my attitude. First of all, we spend months on each episode and people are ripping through them. I got up, uh, I, I think it premiered midnight, uh, 12 a.m. on Friday morning. By the time I got up uh, at 7 a.m. Friday morning, I already, people were tweeting, watch the whole thing, watch all six episodes. Oh, wow. Like, Why did you do that? We, we, you have to be first. You have to get it all in. Now you don't have it anymore unless you go back and watch it, which people seem to be doing, which is nice. But yes, you know, I don't want people to get sick of the show. I don't want them to miss the details, which you have to do if you're rushing through them. Don't you break the rules here with this? Don't second screen it. Sit down and, and actually pay attention and focus on it and enjoy it to a much more uh, deeper level. And two, don't do all six of them and, and then the other six as well. All yeah. at, a, at the same time, like parse it out. Even even if you had to like one a night as like an event for yes. the week, yep. like is the fastest I would suggest. But I'd even say like pick a one night a week. What about yep. this? Pick one night a week where you watch it as a family. And then sit yeah. down and have dinner together and try new foods. How great is that? I yeah. love your idea. By the way, that's the way that, because the nature of PBS, that's how it was for the first uh, six, right? Right. It was once a week. Um, but you know what? I can't tell you how to watch the show. You're sure. going to watch it the way you want to watch it. And I'm happy if you watch it at all. So, yes, you're right, though. Uh, I, I would prefer it. If you savored it, we spend a lot of time on it. Each one is a little movie about the place, an hour-long movie about the place. There's no commercials. You can really just sit and watch, and hopefully you laugh, and hopefully you get the feeling of what it's like, and you you marvel at how gorgeous uh, it is, and you get hungry, and you want to go. I definitely do. I, I definitely do. I'm also hoping that this is just the beginning. Me too, because I could do this the rest of my life. That's not, that wouldn't be terrible. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, not at all. Phil, this is awesome. I mean, I, I am just sincerely just grateful to be able to talk to you today and uh, to talk about what we've been talking about, but more so knowing that, like, again, uh, there's so much to this. There's so much um, to the food, to the laughing, to the, to the bonding with the people. We didn't really mention that, but you interacting with the people in the different cultures, again, that's the point. there's universality. Yeah. There's just universality and relatability that's there as well. Well, thanks. Uh, the show combines everything I love, not just about show business, right? I'm making a show. Mm -hmm. it, it utilizes everything I love about show business, which is writing, directing, editing, performing, even right. Uh, producing. I love every aspect of show business except the business. <laughs> and then it then combines the things I love in life the most. Family, friends, food, travel, and laughs. And when you combine all of that, I'm very lucky. I'm very happy for you. And, and I'm so glad you're doing this. It's been awesome talking with you today, Phil. And I'm just going to say, like, easiest way for people to go find it is just literally type in the word Phil into your hey. Netflix search and it all, all your stuff pops up. So. Oh, great. There you That's go. Nice. I tried that out. I was like, there you go. That's the easiest way. And, and I'll link it up. I'll link all of the stuff up in the show notes, the book, um, the, the shows and even the, the movie and in the show notes for the episode. Phil, it has been so awesome talking with you today. Love talking to you, Eric. Uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah. And, and like I said, we meet in person. I will feed you. Yes.
Where where are you calling from today? I, I am in Indiana. I'm about three hours south of Chicago. Wow. How's the food there? I know it's good in Chicago. How is it where you live? It's great. Well, I mean, again, my favorite sushi place, which holds you know its own with a lot of places, is only about a five minute drive. So it's wow. Yeah, in Indiana. Yes, it's a good sushi bar in Indiana. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> See, the world the world is getting much better. The world, I think. You know, you can get a good meal almost anywhere now, and I, I, I would say it's because of the internet. Yeah. Because a kid in Indiana can see what the chef in Los Angeles or Tokyo is doing and try to replicate it. And then take it somewhere where nobody knows what it is, and then everybody can yeah. try new things. That's it. So we, we have in our pocket the, the tool to learn about the world. It used to be the World Book Encyclopedia. Now we have it times a million. And it's updated every second. We carry it with us. There's no excuse not to know stuff. Yeah, so get out there and live your life, but also, and and travel, but also sit down with your family and have dinner. Nice. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Eric. Nice to meet you. I really hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation between Phil and I. I know that I was just thrilled to be able to talk with him. I hope that you got something out of it. I hope... Ultimately, that you are pushed out of your comfort zone or at least nudged a little bit and decide to go on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 217. There you'll find the links to every single thing Phil and I talked about in this episode. The links to his movies on Netflix, his new show on Netflix, and even his book. And I really encourage you to go check out Somebody Feed Phil and really sit and enjoy it and let it enrich you like it did me. If you give it a chance, I think it will. It's very fun. It's very educational even, and just interesting and just life-affirming, I guess, is what I want to say. So I hope that you take that at heart. If you know somebody who loves comedy or cooking shows or travel shows or all of the above, suggest that show to them. Suggest this show to them. Go to beyondthetodolist.com slash 217 and share it with them. Let them know about this conversation with Phil, as well as his new show, Somebody Feed Phil. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this, and I'll see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.